Section thirty of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. It was now time, as I said before, to take measures with my husband in order to put off my voyage. So I fell into talk with him one morning as he was dressing, and while I was in bed. I pretended I was very ill, but as I had but too easy a way to impose upon him, because he so absolutely believed everything I said, so I managed my discourse as that he should understand by it as I was a breeding, though I did not tell him so. However, I brought it about so handsomely that before he went out of the room he came and sat down by my bedside, and began to talk very seriously to me upon the subject of my being so every day ill, and that, as I hoped I was with child, he would have me consider well of it, whether I had not better alter my thoughts of the voyage to Holland, for that being seasick, and which was worse, if a storm should happen, might be very dangerous to me. And after saying abundance of the kindest things that the kindest of husbands in the world could say, he concluded that it was his request to me that I would not think any more of going after all should be over, but that I would, on the contrary, prepare to lie in where I was, and where I knew, as well as he, I could be very well provided, and very well assisted. This was just what I wanted, for I had, as you have heard, a thousand good reasons why I should put off the voyage, especially with that creature in company. But I had a mind that putting it off should be at his motion, not my own, and he came into it of himself just as I would have had it. This gave me an opportunity to hang back a little, to seem as if I was unwilling. I told him I could not abide to put him to difficulties and perplexities in his business, that now he had hired the great cabin in the ship, and perhaps paid some of the money, and it may be taken freight for goods, and to make him break it all off again would be a needless charge to him, or perhaps a damage to the captain. As to that, he said, it was not to be named, and he would not allow it to be any consideration at all, that he could easily pacify the captain of the ship by telling him the reason of it, and that if he did make him some satisfaction for the disappointment, it should not be much. But, my dear, says I, you had heard me say I am with child, neither can I say so, and if it should not be so at last, then I shall have made a fine piece of work of it indeed. Besides, says I, the two ladies, the captain's wife and her sister, they depend upon our going over, and have made great preparations, and all in compliment to me. What must I say to them? Well, my dear, says he, if you should not be with child, though I hope you are, yet there is no harm done. The staying three or four months longer in England will be no damage to me, and we can go when we please, when we are sure you are not with child, or appearing that you are with child, you shall be down and up again, and as for the captain's wife and sister, leave that part to me, I'll answer for it, there shall be no quarrel raised upon that subject. I'll make your excuse to them by the captain himself, so all will be well enough there, I'll warrant you. This was as much as I could desire, and thus it rested for a while. 
I had indeed some anxious thoughts about this impertinent girl, but believed that putting off the voyage would have put an end to it all, so I began to be pretty easy. But I found myself mistaken, for I was brought to the point of destruction by her again, and that in the most unaccountable manner imaginable. My husband, as he and I had agreed, meeting the captain of the ship, took the freedom to tell him that he was afraid he must disappoint him, for that something had fallen out which had obliged him to alter his measures, and that his family could not be ready to go time enough for him. "'I know the occasion, sir,' says the captain. "'I hear your lady has got a daughter more than she expected. I give you joy of it.' "'What do you mean by that?' says my spouse. "'Nay, nothing,' says the captain, "'but what I hear the woman tattle over the tea-table.' I know nothing but that you don't go the voyage upon it, which I am sorry for, but you know your own affairs, added the captain, that's no business of mine. Well, but, says my husband, I must make you some satisfaction for the disappointment, and so pulled out his money. No, no, says the captain, and so they fell to straining their compliments one upon another, but in short my spouse gave him three or four guineas and made him take it and so the first discourse went off again, and they had no more of it. But it did not go off so easily with me, for now in a word the clouds began to thicken about me, and I had alarms on every side. My husband told me what the captain had said, but very happily took it that the captain had brought a tale by halves, and having heard it one way had told it another, and that neither could he understand the captain, neither did the captain understand himself. So he contented to tell me, he said, word for word, as the captain delivered it, and how I kept my husband from discovering my disorder, you shall hear presently, but lest it suffice to say just now that if my husband did not understand the captain, nor the captain understand him, yet I understood them both very well, and to tell the truth, it was a worse shock than ever I had yet. Invention supplied me, indeed, with a sudden motion to avoid showing my surprise, for as my spouse and I were sitting by a little table near the fire, I reached out my hand, as if I had intended to take a spoon which lay on the other side, and threw one of the candles off of the table, and then, snatching it up, started up upon my feet, and stooped to the lap of my gown, and took it in my hand. Oh, says I, my gown spoiled. The candle has greased it prodigiously. This furnished me with an excuse to my spouse to break off the discourse for the present, call Amy down, and Amy not coming presently, I said to him, My dear, I must run upstairs and put it off, and let Amy clean it a little. So my husband rose up too, and went into a closet, where he kept his papers, and fetched a book out, and sat down by himself to read. Glad I was that I had got away, and up I run to Amy, who, as it happened, was alone. Oh, Amy, says I, we are all utterly undone. And with that I burst out a-crying, and could not speak a word for a great while. I cannot help saying that some very good reflections offered themselves upon this head. It presently occurred what a glorious testimony it is to the justice of providence, and to the concern providence has in guiding all the affairs of men, even the least as well as the greatest, that the most secret crimes are by the most unforeseen accidents brought to light and discovered.
another reflection was how just it is that sin and shame follow one another so constantly at the heels that they are not like attendants only but like cause and consequence necessarily connected one with another that the crime going before the scandal is certain to follow and that tis not in the power of human nature to conceal the first or avoid the last what shall i do amy said i as soon as i could speak and what will become of me and then i cried again so vehemently that i could say no more a good while amy was frighted almost out of her wits but knew nothing what the matter was but she begged to know and persuaded me to compose myself and not cry so why madame if my master should come up now says he he will see what a disorder you are in he will know you have been crying and then he will want to know the cause of it with that i broke out again oh he knows it already amy says i he knows all tis all discovered and we are undone amy was thunderstruck now indeed nay says amy if that be true we are undone indeed but that can never be that's impossible i'm sure no no says i tis far from impossible for i tell you tis so by this time being a little recovered i told her what discourse my husband and the captain had had together and what the captain had said this put amy into such a hurry that she cried she raved she swore and cursed like a mad thing then she upbraided me that i would not let her kill the girl and she would have done it and that it was all my own doing and the like well however i was not for killing the girl yet i could not bear the thought of that neither he spent half an hour in these extravagances and brought nothing out of them neither for indeed we could do nothing or say nothing that was to the purpose for if anything was to come out of the way there was no hindering it or helping for it so after thus giving a vent to myself by crying i began to reflect how i had left my spouse below and what i had pretended to come up for so i changed my gown that i pretended the candle fell upon and put on another and went down when i had been down a good while and found my spouse did not fall into the story again as i expected i took heart and called for it my dear said i the fall of the candle put you out of your history would you go on with it what history says he why says i about the captain oh says he i had done with it I know no more than that the captain told a broken piece of news that he had heard by halves and told more by halves than he heard it namely of your being with child and that you could not go the voyage i perceived my husband entered not into the thing at all but took it for a story which being told two or three times over was puzzled and come to nothing and that all that was meant by it was that he knew or thought he knew that i was with child which he wished might be true his ignorance was a cordial to my soul and i cursed them in my thoughts that should ever undeceive him and as i saw him willing to have the story and there as not worth being farther mentioned i closed it too and said i suppose the captain had it from his wife she might have found somebody else to make her remarks upon and so it passed off with my husband well enough and i was still safe there where i thought myself in most danger 
but I had two uneasinesses still. The first was lest the captain and my spouse should meet again, and enter into farther discourse about it, and the second was lest the busy, impertinent girl should come again, and when she came, how to prevent her seeing Amy, which was an article as material as any of the rest, for seeing Amy would have been as fatal to me as her knowing all the rest. As to the first of these, I knew the captain could not stay in town above a week, but that his ship being already full of goods and fallen down the river, he must soon follow. So I contrived to carry my husband somewhere out of town for a few days, that they might be sure not to meet. My greatest concern was where we should go. At last I fixed upon North Hall, not, I said, that I would drink the waters, but that I thought the air was good and might be for my advantage. He, who did everything upon a foundation of obliging me, readily came into it, and the coach was appointed to be ready the next morning. But as we were settling matters, he put in an ugly word that thwarted all my design, and it was that he had rather I would stay till afternoon for that he should speak to the captain the next morning, if he could, to give him some letters, which he could do and be back again about twelve o'clock. I said, aye, by all means, but it was but a cheat on him, and my voice and my heart differed on him, for I resolved, if possible, he should not come near the captain, nor see him, whatever came of it. In the evening, therefore, a little before we went to bed, I pretended to have altered my mind, and that I would not go to North Hall, but I had a mind to go another way. But I told him I was afraid his business would not permit him. He wanted to know where it was. I told him, smiling, I would not tell him, lest it should oblige him to hinder his business. He answered with the same temper, but with infinitely more sincerity that he had no business of so much consequence as to hinder him going with me anywhere that I had a mind to go. Yes, says I, you want to speak with the captain before he goes away. Why, that's true, says he, so I do, and paused a while, and then added, but I'll write a note to a man that does business for me to go to him. Tis only to get some bills of loading signed, and he can do it. When I saw I had gained my point, I seemed to hang back a little. My dear, says I, don't hinder an hour's business for me. I can put it off for a week or two, rather than you shall do yourself any prejudice. No, no, says he, you shall not put it off an hour for me, for I can do my business by proxy with anybody but my wife. And then he took me in his arms and kissed me. He did my blood flush up into my face when I reflected how sincerely, how affectionately this good-humoured gentleman embraced the most cursed piece of hypocrisy that ever came to the arms of an honest man. His was all tenderness, all kindness, and the utmost sincerity, mine all grimace and deceit a piece of mere manage and framed conduct to conceal a past life of wickedness, and prevent his discovering that he had in his arms a she-devil, whose whole conversation for twenty-five years had been black as hell, a complication of crime, and for which 
had he been let into it, he must have abhorred me, the very mention of my name. But there was no help for me in it. All I had to satisfy myself was that it was my business to be what I was, and conceal what I had been, that all the satisfaction I could make him was to live virtuously for the time to come, not being able to retrieve what had been in time past. And this I resolved upon, though had the great temptation offered as it did afterwards, I had reason to question my stability. But of that hereafter. After my husband had kindly thus given up his measures to mine, we resolved to set out in the morning early. I told him that my project, if he liked it, was to go to Tunbridge, and he, being entirely passive in the thing, agreed to it with the greatest willingness said if I had not named Tunbridge, he would have named Newmarket, there being a great court there, and abundance of fine things to be seen. I offered him another piece of hypocrisy here, for I pretended to be willing to go thither, as the place of his choice, but indeed I would not have gone for the thousand pounds, for the court being there at that time, I durst not run the hazard of being known at a place where there were so many eyes that had seen me before so that after some time I told my husband that I thought Newmarket was so full of people at that time that we should not get any accommodation, that seeing the court and the crowd was no entertainment at all to me, unless, as it might be so to him, that if he thought fit we would rather put it off to another time, and that if, when we went to Holland, we should go by Harwich, we might take a road by Newmarket and Berry, and so come down to Ipswich, and go from thence to the seaside. He was easily put off from this, so as he was from anything else that I did not approve, and so with all imaginable facility he appointed to be ready early in the morning, and to go with me for Tunbridge. I had a double design in this, first to get away my spouse from seeing the captain any more, secondly, to be out of the way myself, in case this impertinent girl, who was now my plague, should offer to come again, as my friend the Quaker believed she would, and as indeed happened within two or three days afterwards. Having thus secured my going away the next day, I had nothing to do but to furnish my faithful agent the Quaker with some instructions what to say to this tormentor for such she proved afterwards, and how to manage her if she made any more visits than ordinary. I had a great mind to leave Amy behind, too, as an assistant, because she understood so perfectly well what to advise upon any emergence, and Amy importuned me to do so. But I know not what secret impulse prevailed over my thoughts against it. I could not do it, for fear the wicked jade should make her away, which my very soul abhorred the thoughts of, which, however, Amy found means to bring to pass afterwards, as I may in time relate more particularly. It is true, I wanted as much to be delivered from her as ever a sick man did from a third day ague, and had she dropped into the grave by any fair way, as I may call it, I mean, had she died by any ordinary distemper. I should have shed but very few tears for her, 
but I was not arrived to such a pitch of obstinate wickedness as to commit murder, especially such as to murder my own child, or so much as to harbour a thought so barbarous in my mind. But, as I said, Amy effected all afterwards without my knowledge, for which I gave her my hearty curse, though I could do little more, for to have fallen upon Amy had been to have murdered myself. But this tragedy requires a longer story than I have room for here. I return to my journey. My dear friend the Quaker was kind, and yet honest, and would do anything that was just and upright to serve me, but nothing wicked or dishonourable, that she might be able to say boldly to the creature if she came she did not know where I was gone. She desired I would not let her know and to make her ignorance the more absolutely safe to herself and likewise to me. I allowed her to say that she heard us talk of going to Newmarket, etc. She liked that part, and I left all the rest to her, to act as she thought fit, only charged her that if the girl entered into the story of the pal mal, she should not entertain much talk about it but let her understand that we all thought she spoke of it a little too particularly, and that the lady, meaning me, took it a little ill to be so likened to a public mistress or a stage player and the like, so to bring her, if possible, to say no more of it. However, though, I did not tell my friend the Quaker how to write to me, or where I was, yet I left a sealed paper with her maid to give her in which I gave her the direction how to write, Amy, and so in effect to myself. It was but a few days after I was gone, and the impatient girl came to my lodgings on pretence to see how I did, and to hear if I intended to go the voyage and the like. A trusty agent was at home, and received her coldly at the door, and told her that the lady which she supposed she meant was gone from the house. This was a full stop to all she could say for a good while, but as she stood musing some time at the door, considering what to begin a talk upon, she perceived my friend the Quaker looked a little uneasy, as if she wanted to go in and shut the door, which stung her to the quick, and the wary Quaker had not so much as asked her to come in, or seeing her alone she expected she would be very impertinent, and concluded that I did not care how coldly she received her but she was not to be put off so. She said if the lady was not to be spoken with, she desired to speak two or three words with her, meaning my friend the Quaker. Upon that the Quaker civilly, but coldly asked to walk in, which was what she wanted. Note, she did not carry her into her best parlour as formerly, but into a little outer room where the servants usually waited. By the first of her discourse, she did not stick to insinuate as if she believed I was in the house, but was unwilling to be seen, and pressed earnestly that she might speak but two words with me, to which she added earnest entreaties, and at last tears. I am sorry, says my good creature, the Quaker, thou hast so ill an opinion of me as to think I would tell thee an untruth, and say that the lady was gone from my house if she was not. I assure thee I do not use any such method, nor does the lady desire any such of service from me as I know of. If she had been in the house, I should have told thee so. 
She said little to that, but said it was business of the utmost importance that she desired to speak with me about, and then cried again very much. Thou seemst to be sorely afflicted, says the Quaker. I wish I could give thee any relief. But if nothing will comfort thee but seeing the lady, it is not in my power. I hope it is, says she again. To be sure, it is of great consequence to me, so much that I am undone without it. Thou troublest me very much to hear thee say so, says the Quaker. But why then didst thou not speak to her apart than thou wast here before? I had no opportunity, says she, to speak to her alone. I could not do it in company. If I could have spoken but two words to her alone, I would have thrown myself at her foot and asked her blessing. I am surprised at thee. I do not understand thee, says the Quaker. Oh, says she, stand my friend if you have any charity, or if you have any compassion for the miserable, for I am utterly undone. Thou terrifiest me, says the Quaker, with such passionate expressions, for verily I cannot comprehend thee. Oh, says she, she is my mother. She is my mother and she does not own me thy mother says the quaker and began to be greatly moved indeed i am astonished at thee what dost thou mean i mean nothing but what i say says she i say again she is my mother and will not own me and with that she stopped with a flood of tears not only, said the Quaker, the good, kind woman, wept too. Why, says she, she does not know thee, and never saw thee before. No, says the girl, I believe she does not know me, but I know her, and I know that she is my mother. It's impossible, thou talkst mystery, says the Quaker. Wilt thou explain thyself a little to me? Yes, yes, says she. I can explain it well enough. I am sure she is my mother, and I have broke my heart to search for her, and now to lose her again, when I was so sure I had found her, will break my heart more effectually. Well, but if she be thy mother, says the Quaker, how can it be that she should not know thee? Alas, says she, I have been lost to her ever since I was a child. She has never seen me. And hast thou never seen her, says the Quaker? Yes, says she, I have seen her. Often enough I saw her, for when she was the Lady Roxana, I was her housemaid, being a servant, but I did not know her then nor she me, but it has all come out since. Has she not a maid named Amy? Note, the honest Quaker was nonplussed, and greatly surprised at that question. Truly, says she, the lady has several women servants, but I do not know all their names. But her women, her favourite, adds the girl, is not her name Amy. Why, truly, says the Quaker, with a very happy turn of wit. I do not like to be examined, 
but lest thou shouldst take up any mistakes by reason of my backwardness to speak i will answer thee for once that what her woman's name is i know not but they call her cherry my husband gave her that name in jest on our wedding day and we had called her by it ever after so that she spoke literally true at that time the girl replied very modestly that she was sorry she gave her any offence in asking that she did not design to be rude to her or pretend to examine her but she was in such an agony at this disaster that she knew not what she did or said and that she should be very sorry to disoblige her but begged of her again as she was a christian and a woman and had been a mother of children that she would take pity on her and if possible assist her so that she might but come to me and speak a few words to me the tender-hearted quaker told me the girl spoke this with such moving eloquence that it forced tears from her but she was obliged to say that she neither knew where i was gone or how to write to me but that if she did ever see me again she would not fail to give me an account all she had said to her or that she should yet think fit to say and to take my answer to it if i thought fit to give any then the quaker took the freedom to ask a few particulars about this wonderful story as she called it at which the girl beginning at the first distresses of my life and indeed of her own went through all the history of her miserable education, her service under the Lady Roxana, she called me, and her relief by Mrs. Amy, with the reasons she had to believe that, as Amy owned herself to be the same that lived with her mother, and especially that Amy was the Lady Roxana's maid too, and came out of France with her, she was by those circumstances and several others in conversation as fully convinced that the lady roxana was her mother as she was that the lady at her house the quakers was the very same roxana that she had been servant to my good friend the quaker though terribly shocked at the story and not well knowing what to say it was too much my friend to seem convinced in a thing which she did not know to be true and which if it was true she could see plainly i had a mind should not be known so she turned a discourse to argue the girl out of it she insisted upon the slender evidence she had of the fact itself and the rudeness of claiming so near a relation of one so much above her and of whose concern in it she had no knowledge at least no sufficient proof that as the lady at her house was a person above any disguises so she could not believe that she would deny her being her daughter if she was really her mother that she was able sufficiently to have provided for her if she had not a mind to have her known and therefore seeing she had heard all she had said of the lady roxana and was so far from owning herself 
to be the person so she had censured that sham lady as a cheat and a common woman and that twas certain she could never be brought to own a name and a character she had so justly exposed besides she told her that her lodger meaning me was not a sham lady but the real wife of a knight baronet and that she knew her to be honestly such and far above such a person as she had described she then added that she had another reason why it was not very possible to be true and that is says she thy age is in the way for thou acknowledgest that thou art four-and-twenty years old and that thou wast the youngest of three of thy mother's children so that by thy account thy mother must be extremely young or this lady cannot be thy mother for thou seest says she and any one may see she is but a young woman and cannot be supposed to be above forty years old if she is so much and is now big with child at her going into the country so that i cannot give any credit to thy notion of her being thy mother and if i might counsel thee it should be to give over that thou thought as an improbable story that does but serve to disorder thee and disturb thy head for added she i perceive thou art much disturbed indeed but this was all nothing she could be satisfied with nothing but seeing me but the quaker defended herself very well and insisted on it that she could not give her any account of me and finding her still importunate she affected at last being a little disgusted that she should not believe her and added that indeed if she had known where i was gone she would not have given any one an account of it unless i had given her orders to do so but seeing she was not acquainted with me says she where she has gone tis an intimation to me she was not desirous it should be publicly known and with this she rose up which was as plain a desiring her to rise up too and be gone as could be expressed except the downright showing her the door well the girl rejected all this and told her she could not indeed expect that she the quaker should be affected with the story she had told her however moving or that she should take any pity on her that it was her misfortune that when she was at the house before and in the room with me she did not beg to speak a word with me in private or throw herself upon the floor at my feet and claim what the affection of a mother would have done for her but since she had slipped her opportunity she would wait for another that she found by her the quaker's talk that she had not quite left her lodgings but was gone into the country she supposed for the air and she was resolved she would take so much night errantry upon her that she would visit all the airing places in the nation and even all the kingdom over i and holland too but she would find me for she was satisfied she could so convince me that she was my own child that i would not deny it and she was sure i was so tender and compassionate i would not let her perish after i was convinced that she was my own flesh and blood and in saying she would visit all the airing places in england she reckoned them all up by name and began with tunbridge 
reach the very place I was gone to. Then reckoning up Epsom, North Hall, Barnet, Newmarket, Bury, and at last Bath. And with this she took her leave. End of section 30